Well, let me extend my uh, greeting to you as well as Pastor has already done. And I'm certainly thankful for the fact that you have made this a priority to you and to your family to make sure that you're here. I, I was just thinking as he was praying what a blessing it is to be a part. I hope that you sense this to be a part of a church family and that you can pray together and, and hurt for one another and support one another and laugh with each other and enjoy one another. You know, you've walked in the door carrying the baggage of the day's activities and carrying all the burden of, uh, of odd decisions that you've had to make and things that you've been involved with all day long. And, uh, you know, a Monday night service is a lot different than, a, than the Lord's Day on Sunday. Uh, you come in on Sunday and it just seems like things are a little bit more settled, usually, unless you have small children, uh, you, you almost lose your salvation getting them ready to come to church on Sunday morning. But other than that, you, uh, uh, you know, on a, but on a Monday, uh, you've had to be busy with work and some of you maybe taught your own children at home and, and uh, you've been busy with making decisions and preparing quick meals and go, 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 and then to rush in the door. I'm just so thankful that we've been able to, uh, Richard led us in music tonight and just really helped us to get focused on why we're here and how great our God is and just to, just to gr bring your thoughts into captivity. That's so critical. That's so important to grab those runaway active thoughts that get away from you and say, no, no, wait a minute. Why am I here? And what am I here to listen to? And then as pastor led you to understand some burdens of some of your church family and to pray for them, that's such a help. And that's such a great thing to do. So if you still have thoughts that want to run away from you and you're thinking about, I got to make that phone call and boy, I got to, I got to take care of that project. And I got to do that. And that's tonight. You got to do that tonight or you got to remember to get it done tomorrow. If you, if you're afraid you're going to forget it, write it down on a piece of paper and then bring those thoughts into captivity and say, okay, Lord, speak to me. I want you to speak to me tonight. Help me to hear what I need to hear. You're not going to hear anything from me that you've not heard from other uh, preachers who've manned this pulpit and who have uh, taken you to the scriptures. But may tonight's sermon and message be precisely what you need to hear. So would you go to the Gospel of John with me and get chapter 21, which is the very last chapter in John. John chapter 21. Get that in front of you. And if you get that in front of you, let me just sort of say a couple of things about the passage we're going to look at together. Hey, by the way, if we have not met as of yet, I, you know, after the service, Lynn and I are uh, usually back there in the back and I know I'll be back there tonight. And, and uh, if, if you leave by some other door, I get it, but I sure would like to, to put a name in a face and just kind of greet you for you to come out on a cold, uh, uh, rainy Monday evening. It, it's just very special. And I'm very grateful for you for doing it. I really am. I, I want this to be very beneficial. And all I am is a tool of the Lord. I just want to be his, his pipeline, his messenger boy to take what he's laid on my heart to bring to your attention here tonight. John chapter 21 obviously is the very last chapter of this gospel, the gospel John. But not only is it the last chapter of the gospel of John, think on this with me. It's the last chapter of the four gospels. You say, why is that significant? Well, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the gospels that present to us the life of Christ when he was here on earth. And I love those four gospels. I love them. I love to read what each one bring to the table. 
But yet John was certainly the last. He was the one who was the youngest disciple. And therefore, by God's providential hand of care, he lived the longest. And his writing, his book, came after Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote theirs. John gives us some things that the other three writers didn't give us. When you come to the end of chapter 20, it almost sounds like that's the end of, the, of his writing. In fact, look at the last two verses of chapter 20 and see if you don't agree with me that this sounds like the very end of his book, of his writing. Verse 30 says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. It's almost like, now that's the last sentence. That's got to be the end of the chapter. That's got to be the end of the book. I mean, the key word of the gospel of John is the word believe. And that shows up here in that very last verse, that you may believe that he's the Son of God. It, is a, it, is a, it sounds like the ending, the conclusion, and yet it's not. The Spirit of the Lord gave John insight to write one more chapter, and I'm glad he did. Because this last chapter gives us a story that has, has spoken to my heart, folks, I mean this, countless times through the years. I've always loved this particular story, and yet I never preached on it for all my years of ministry till about, I'm going to guess maybe five, four or five years ago, I realized this is something that I've got to proclaim. I have referenced it before, but I've never proclaimed it as an entire, entire message. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, he showed himself several times to groups of people. We even read last night where he came to the disciples who were gathered together for fear and he came into their presence and he said, uh, you know, peace, shalom, don't be afraid. And he showed them his hands, his wounds, and in his feet and in his hands and in his side. First Corinthians, uniquely enough, outside of the four gospels, uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus showed himself at one time to over 500 of his believing followers. Most scholars believe that that took place on a mountain in Galilee. Galilee. Jesus crucified in Jerusalem, buried in Jerusalem, arose in, from the, the grave, the tomb there in Jerusalem, was shown, uh, showed himself unto Mary and to some of the women and, then, and the handful of disciples. But he got word to the disciples, meet me over in Galilee. That distance was a little bit of distance. It was certainly about a, a full day's walk. But this is where they lived. This is where most of Jesus' ministry had taken place. I'm going somewhere, so stay with me. So the disciples had trekked their way back to Galilee, but they didn't go, obviously, to the spot where Jesus had told them to go. Again, probably at a particular mountainous area where he often taught his disciples, where probably he met the 500 of the believers. But we find here in chapter 21 what really happened. Pick it up with me, beginning in verse 1. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again. 
to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Of course, you know that's Galilee. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas. For what it's worth, this is the only time in scriptures where Thomas' name came after Peter's name. Now, we, Thomas takes a beating a lot of times from preachers. And I'm not going to beat him up because he also made a tremendous, strong doctrinal statement, a divine statement when he looked at the Lord Jesus with his pierced hands and he said, my Lord and my God. Yes, I know he got discouraged and he, he was so depressed that he doubted whether or not he had risen from the dead. But this, that, was a, that was something hard to believe. So, but this is a unique spot where it says that Thomas is named after Simon Peter. Pick it up with me again, verse 2. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other of his disciples, we don't know who they were. We guess Andrew, brother of Peter, and Andrew's close friend, Philip, but we're not sure. Now, verse 3. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, we also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. <laughs> but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. There was something about Christ after he rose from the dead that at times he was veiled in a sense that people didn't recognize that was the Lord Jesus. And this is certainly one of those times. However, they were about a hundred yards away from the shore. They're out fishing. Now, I don't know if you enjoy fishing. Fishing is, it can be very therapeutic and can be a lot of fun, especially if you're catching anything. But they didn't catch anything all night long. And old Pete had said, I'm going to go back to fishing. I'm no good at this discipleship stuff. I denied the Lord three times. I failed him. Now, Peter had already seen the Lord and no doubt had made things right with the Lord. But he's probably still reeling to the point that many believe that when he said, I go a fishing, he was not saying, I'm just going to go fishing one night. However, that might have been the case. I think many, most of us believe he was saying, I'm going to go back to the fishing business. I know I can catch fish. I'm no good at discipleship, uh, but I can, I can go fishing. No, Peter, you're not very good at that either. Without the Lord's blessing. They caught nothing all night long. Okay, pick it back up with me. It says in verse 5. Then Jesus said unto them, children, have you any meat? Now, can you see the man on the shore hundred yards away? He says, hey, gentlemen, men, it's a friendly statement, children. And he wasn't referring to their age. He was referring kindly. He was saying, did you catch anything? Now, there's only one thing worse than not catching fish. It's having been asked, did you catch any fish? I'm sure they all looked at each other like, who's going to answer the guy? They had to yell it out across the, the waters. And you can imagine they probably said with a sour look in their eye and maybe gritting their teeth. It says they answered him, no. <laughs> and he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. Now give me a break. If you've got the gift of sarcasm, which most of us do in this room tonight, 
and you don't know that that's Jesus on the shore, and this stranger says, hey, you catch anything? No. Hey, well, cast the net on the right side, and you'll catch something. You, you know somebody on that boat said, oh, we didn't think about that. Who does this guy think he is? We've been casting on both sides all night long. But somehow or another, they said, okay, let's try it one more time. Maybe he can see something. So it says, middle of verse 6, they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. <laughs> therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John's reference to himself. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. He said unto Peter, it's the Lord. And of course, you know what happened. Peter jumps in the water. He swims to the shore. He can't wait for the boat to get there. He's going to go first and get there as fast as he can. He gets to the Lord and they have a conversation. I would have loved to have heard that conversation. We don't have it. Pick it up in verse 9. As, as soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Hey, bring of the fish which... You have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great, that means large fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. Somebody counted them. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yes, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved. Because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Friends, I don't know how I can say this any more boldly tonight, but I just, this has always spoken to my heart. If you'll collect your thoughts and put yourself there in that setting, maybe you can somehow or another visualize this. Some of you may be going to Israel here in a, in a few more weeks and you'll see the Sea of Galilee. On the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee is that area. Uh, a little bit uh, to the west of Capernaum is an area in which there's kind of a, a beach-like area. Many people believe that's probably where Jesus was. 
And there standing on that shore, he hollers out, did you catch anything? No, we didn't. Cast it on the right side. They, they pull it up and, and John says, that, that's the Lord. And Peter jumps in the water. Oh, impulsive Peter. Jumps in the water and starts swimming to shore. And they come into the shore with the boat and with all the fish. And, and what do they see when they get there? Jesus has a coal of fire. He's got a little charcoal fire going, man. And he's got fish already on the grill and he's got bread. Now, are you thinking on a Monday night? Where did he get that fish and where did he get the bread? And here's the answer. Are you kidding me? This is the Lord Jesus. I mean, give me a break. He could have just said, fish, come here. And the fish come out of the water. He could have said to a stone, turn to bread. I mean, he created it all anyway. So he's got breakfast going. I mean, it's early morning. Sun's just barely peeking over the eastern sky and these guys are coming to shore and they, they see he's already got breakfast going. He says, but bring some of the fish which you've now caught. He could have said that I helped you catch, but he didn't. That's not, that's not the Lord. He says, bring some of your fish. And, and he goes, and we're going to have us a, a meal. Come, come, I got breakfast going. And he serves them breakfast. Now, I don't know what they're doing. I imagine some of them are looking at each other squeamishly. You say, why? This is not where they were supposed to meet him. He had told them, meet me in Galilee, but not go fishing. He had told them to meet me in Galilee. I've got more I want to give you before I leave. He says, meet me in Galilee. And they no doubt knew where it was. And again, I'm not a scholar, but most believe that there was that location on a mountain where, again, 500 people gathered to meet him. Eventually, and there they were out fishing. Jesus knew where they were. Of course he knew where they were. And maybe they were looking at each other like, hope he's not upset. Hope he's not mad. And what does he say? Come and dine. Let's eat. And I don't know, maybe conversations are going on and people are saying, hey man, this is great fish. Well, of course it is. The Lord just cooked it, man. And, and this is great. Hey, can I get another piece of toast? This is really delicious. I'm so hungry. Maybe somebody is stretching their muscles and going, oh man, what a night of fishing. Well, casting the net. I mean, what a, what a night that was. And, and boy, I'm sure glad we finally caught... Lord, glad you finally helped us catch something here this morning. That was great. Maybe, maybe they're all just kind of sitting around wondering, and you can hear someone say, what are we going to do today? I don't know. Shh. Let's just wait and see what Jesus has to say. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, Simon, son of John, were you ever called by your full name by your parents? It usually was not a good reason, you know, when they call you by your full name. Well, Jesus is not upset, but he says, Simon, Peter, the son of Jonas. Yes, you. Do you love me more than these? Now, hang on. What did Peter say? He said exactly what you would have said. If I stopped you after the service and we met, if I just happened to say, and I won't, but if I said to you tonight, hey, friend, great to meet you. Good to see you. Hey, do you love the Lord? My guess is, if it's not 100%, it'd be 99% of you sitting here on a Monday night. You would say, yes, <laughs> yes, I do. That's exactly what old Pete said. He goes, yes, Lord, I love you. Maybe he's chomping down on some, some fish or something. He goes, yes. And Jesus says, then I want you to take care of my flock, my lambs, feed my sheep. 
Maybe Peter's nodding his head. Oh, okay. Now we read it back to back to back in the scriptures. However, I don't think it probably happened that quickly. I think that maybe conversations continued on among each other. Maybe somebody said, hey, can I get another piece of, of, uh, of meat? That was that's really good. Maybe somebody's already leaning up against a tree and, and beginning to get an early morning nap or something, you know, and, and, uh, and, and maybe again, some whisperings going on and conversations gone on. And I don't know, five minutes, 10 minutes passed so, so much. I don't don't know till all of a sudden Jesus says, Hey, Simon, son of John, John, Jonas, do you love me? Now, I don't know about you, but I think old Pete probably looked around and he's thinking, Haven't we already covered this? Yes. Yes. You know I do. And Jesus said, Okay, then feed my sheep. Now, I know some of you who know the Greek language are sitting there arguing in your mind saying, Morris, are you going to tell us about the Greek words that Jesus used? You know, friends, that's what used to make me stumble over this passage so many times. Jesus used the highest level of love. He used that term agape. And you may have a legitimate argument here when Peter comes back and he says, I, I give you, I, yes, I and he uses that term phileo, from which we get the term uh, Philadelphia, brotherly love. He says, I have a strong affection for you. I'm not going to beat Peter up right now, though, because there are times in the scriptures that the term agape and phileo are, are used interchangeably. In fact, Jesus used it interchangeably. And he talked about some things. Uh, uh, he, he even referred, John referred to himself, I'm the disciple whom Jesus agaped. And other times he said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus phileo. And so it's used interchangeably. So I'm not going to beat Peter up, although it might be a legitimate argument. Okay. He said, do you love me? Second time. And Peter says, yes. Okay, Pete, then feed my sheep, tend to my lambs. And maybe somebody is, is saying, you want me to put the fire out? Uh, anybody else going to get anything else to eat? And, and someone else is gathering the trash together of some whatever uh, paper plates of some sort that they use. I don't know. And they're getting some stuff together to put on the fire and to put the fire out. I'm not sure. And maybe somebody else is already snoring over here off to the side. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? The Bible says that Peter was grieved because he was asked the third time, do you love me? And he begins to weep and he says, Lord, Master, you know me. It's as if Peter's saying, I don't understand what's going on here, but you know I love you. And he says, okay, I'm recommissioning you. I'm not through with you. Feed my sheep. Do you, do you remember junior high school? <laughs> you say, preacher, I'm trying to forget those days. Yeah, most of us are. Those days of seventh and eighth grade, when, when you're a boy, you're, you're relearning how to walk, you know, and you never can get enough to eat when you're around that age. And so, I mean, it is, it is a unique stage of time. I can remember when I was in the seventh grade, I would meet with some of my buddies before school. We'd be throwing the football around and uh, just getting a good old hot lather and a sweat up before going to first hour class and we'd be all hot and sweaty, but you don't care 
when you're 13, seventh grade, you don't care what you look like or smell like. You just don't care. And it's no big deal. And so when the bell would ring, we'd all go to this, our separate classes. It was a large school. We'd all go in different directions and you'd cool off in that first hour class. I had a math class. I'd sit there and you'd sit in those old desks in the public school. And those desks were made of wood that uh, Noah had gotten rid of. I mean, it was old, old wood on those desks. And, and, uh, and you'd sit there and by the time that first hour class was over with, my, my, I'd be stuck to the desk. And so you'd stand up and you'd have to peel the desk off of you uh, to go to the next hour class, you know. Well, that went on for several weeks at the beginning of school when all of a sudden, somewhere along September, somewhere in the first days of school, my buddies stopped meeting with me. They weren't out there. I'm out there tossing my football and I'm thinking, where are they? You know, day after day that happened. Again, large schools, so we didn't kind of intersect each other in the hallways that often. And sometimes if I saw them, I'd forget about, you know, where were you today? Uh, But after a while, I began to ask, hey, hey, what's going on? Every morning, you and you and and, and I named a bunch of guys. I said, where is everybody? And and long story short, I finally squeezed out of them what they were doing. Now, again, you remember what was going on around that age time? Things began to change internally. And my buddy Gary said, I was with Tina. Now that bug had not quite bitten me, you know. I was not ready for a Hallmark movie yet. I mean, I just just wasn't there. And I, I said, you were with Tina? Wh- why? Are you being punished for something? I mean, what, what's going on? He goes, no, I wanted to. And I began to look around the school. I began to notice all these seventh grade kids began to pair up. You know, it's crazy. Here comes this little seventh grade boy, seventh grade girl, you know. You remember that? <laughs> Hadn't quite grown up yet, you know. <laughs> boy walking around, <laughs> I got a girlfriend, you know. I'm watching all this carrying on. It just drove me crazy. And my buddy said, you got to get a girlfriend. I said, I don't want a girlfriend. He said, you guys are crazy. What's wrong with you? I said, I, my girlfriend's my football. I said, that's all I need. You know, I, it's a great, and she doesn't talk back. And it's a great football. You know, it's just wonderful. They don't make me nervous. It's great. And they said, no, you got to get a girlfriend. Now, I'm going to tell you, uh, I failed to peer pressure. I finally did. I said, just to get them off my back. I said, okay. I didn't want to. I really didn't. But I thought, is this a thing to do? You know, when you're a teenager, you just kind of, it's a, it's, it's a tough time to be a teenager sometimes. And, and I say to teenagers all the time, don't play this silly game. It's ridiculous. But I said, okay. Now, ladies, don't get mad at me, but this is the only way I knew how. I mean, this is the way I handled it. Remember, I was 13, didn't know any better and didn't really want to do it. They said, you, get a girl, get, you got to find a girlfriend. I said, okay. And here's what I said. What's left? You know, I just kind of looked around the school. I said, who's available? I looked around. They said, oh, you know, like a farmer looking at cattle. I said, what's left? What's available out there? They said, no, man, you got you to gotta find, you got to feel it. And I said, feel what? I don't want to, I don't know. And they said, you got to find somebody. So I'm looking around and uh, I don't remember how many days I finally, I spotted a girl. I didn't know who she was. I said, who's that girl over there? She looks halfway decent. And they said, they said, they said, we don't know. We don't know who she is. I said, do you think she's got a a boyfriend? Well, we don't know. We don't even know who she is. 
I said, is she in the seventh grade? Because at our school, we had seventh graders, eighth graders, and we even had ninth graders at our, our, our junior high school at that time. I said, well, go find out. Go find out if she's got a boyfriend. Go find out if she's in the seventh grade because she, if she's in the eighth grade or the ninth grade, I mean, you know, they're, they're practically in college. I said, so I, I, can't, I can't be with that age bracket. I got to stay in my own age group. I said, go find out. And so they said, they, they went looking and hunting around, asking questions, and they came back and they said, yeah, you're good to go. She's a seventh grader and uh, she has no boyfriend. I said, okay, good. So what's her name? They gave me her name. I walked over there to her and I, I and, and again, ladies, forgive me. I didn't know anything better. I just want, this is the way it basically went. I said, hey, how you doing? I said, uh, I gave her my name. I said, uh, you got a boyfriend? She said, no. You want one? She said, maybe. I said, consider it done. And that was it. Just made for Hallmark movies right there, I'm telling you. Every married couple in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about when I refer to Hallmark movies. Every good husband knows what I'm talking about. You've been stuck, excuse me, you've been there to watch those things before. They're all the same. But anyway, um, <laughs> just throw some snow on the ground and it's magically Christmas. Anyway, uh, I, 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 so she and I started hanging out together for about four weeks. I didn't know what to say to her. I mean, I mean every day before school, we're just kind of hanging out and I'm just nervous about it. And finally, I thought, this is, a, this is ridiculous. I am miserable and so is she. And, and again, I didn't know any way better to handle it. I, to me, I thought it was, I was treating her with a kind favor. I just walked up to her one morning and I said, hey, this, this little thing that you and I are doing, whatever, you know, I said, let's just forget it. I said, let's just be friends. And her lips began to quiver <laughs> and tears began to come, you know. And I said, now don't start that. I said, we don't even know each other. I said, no, 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 cut it out. <laughs> she, she grabbed a bunch of her girlfriends and they took off running for the girl's office. Ladies, you know what that is. It's the restroom. And they went inside the restroom and in the restroom it was talking about me. And those girls came out and they glared a hole at me like I was some kind of a home wrecker or something. She was a nice girl. But if you ask me then, if you ask me tonight, hey, Gleiser, did you love that girl? Did you love her? The answer's quick. No. I mean, I could say it kindly. Let's be friends. She was a nice girl, but I didn't love her. Teenagers can love, but I didn't love her. But I'm not asking you that tonight. And Jesus is not asking you that tonight. He's asking you this. Do you love me? And it's not a laughing matter when Jesus asked the question. Why is this in the Bible? Why is this here? Because the truth is, if it was asked of you tonight by me, your pastor, or some caring individual, do you love the Lord? Your answer would be exactly what Peter's was. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then Jesus comes back and he says, do you? Yes. Do you? 
When the person who knows you the best and loves you the most asks you three times, do you really love me? Something's going on. You say, well, I know he's, he's recommissioning Peter. Yes, he is. But if I can, I'd like to lay just a couple of things and maybe just a tad bit more on your heart tonight. But let me at least give you two things to carry with you. What do you see from this passage? I see, first of all, that Jesus communicates his patience. Friends, I'm going to tell you, if you don't get anything else, and I hope you will, I hope you'll get this tonight. There's no question tonight that every true Christian loves the Lord Jesus. Did you, see, did you hear that? Every Christian loves the Lord. It says in John 8 and verse 42, Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, then you would love me. I mean, if, if you're a true Christian, you're going to love the Lord. I know that. It's not a question of do you love him or not. That's not even exactly what Jesus is asking. We'll get to that in just a moment. But he is at the beginning of this whole account. He is communicating his patience with you and with me. You say, what do you mean? Think about what's going on here. When the disciples come to shore, this was not what they were supposed to be doing. Peter, no doubt, has felt like a miserable failure. I'm no good at being a follower, a disciple, a proclaimer of Jesus. I denied him three times. Oh, I've asked him to forgive me. I've made it right with him. But I'm just, I'm just such a failure. I'm no good. But I'll tell you one thing I can do. I can fish. I'm going to go back to fishing. And the other guy said, well, we'll go with you because Peter was such a leader. And they went out and went fishing. And so Jesus calls them in and they come into shore. And no doubt Jesus could have said, what is it with you guys? I told you to meet me here in Galilee. I didn't tell you to go back to fishing. You know where I wanted you to meet me. I mean, really, guys, I mean, why can't I trust you to do what I've asked you to do? You keep doing the same things wrong over and over again. Hey, you know, guys, I'm going to be here for maybe about another 30 days. Maybe I ought to just invest the next 30 days in some new disciples because you guys clearly don't get it. Now, he could have said something like that, but you don't get a hint of that. What do you hear? Here's what you hear. Come and dine. I got breakfast going for you. Come on. I'm going to serve you. What do you see? Friends, I'm going to tell you something. You see the heart of Christ. He is patient. He is long-suffering. He is merciful. He is willing to say to me and to you over and over and over again, yes, I know you have failed me. But failure is not final. I'm not through with you. You see, it's the devil who speaks to us and he, he, the accuser of the brethren. That's what the term devil means. Satan means accuser of the brethren. He comes to us and here's what he says. He says, you know something, uh, God, God doesn't love you as much as what he used to. <laughs> you keep failing the Lord. You keep committing that same sin over and over and over and over again. You know, when you were a young believer, you could ask for forgiveness. When you were young in the Lord, maybe when you were a child, if you accepted the Lord, you could get forgiveness and get his mercy. And then when you got a little bit older as a young person, you could get his forgiveness. But you know something, you're a, you're a grown adult now, some of you, and, and, and it's like the devil says, you know, you know at some point, <laughs> you just can't expect Jesus to just keep giving you forgiveness. I mean, it's running, you're running it dry. Well, let me tell you something. 
Jesus looks at every true disciple and he says, I don't want you to fail me, but I love you and I'm not through with you. Forgiveness is available for you. Failure is not final. Friends, if that doesn't stir your heart, I don't know what will. You see, I've been in enough ministries and I've, been, I've grown up in enough places in which it seems like in some settings, it seems like, forgive me, just forgive me. I've done it myself as I've preached. It's almost like we communicate, Good, keep trying, keep trying. You, you still haven't pleased the Lord. Maybe next Sunday you'll have your act together. You're not quite there yet. I'm going to tell you something. The heart of Christ says this. I know you have failed me, but I'm not through with you yet. You get forgiveness. Failure's not final. You say, preacher, that's real love. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's incredible, off the charts, crazy love. And I'm going to tell you what it does. It drives me to want to be more faithful to him. It was Paul who said, the love of Christ constrains me. I've got to do more for him. What kind of a father... What kind of a dad would take a little toddler and prop him up at the age of one or whatever and say, okay, Bubba, come on over here. I don't know if they call children Bubba up here in Jersey. I'm from Texas, so okay. And, and so, I mean, what kind of a dad would say, okay, Bubba, come on over here to dad. And that little, that little hunk of uh, nothing but flesh takes a couple of steps forward and he falls flat on his face. What kind of dad would say, well, what's wrong with you? Can't you walk? Here, try that again. Prop him back up. Stop crying. Here, come on. Come on over here. He takes four, five, seven steps. What kind of a dad would go? Hey, babe, he must be from your side of the family. I'm just telling you because my family walks. No. A loving dad says, I'm not, I know you fall. I know you fell. I'm not through. Come on, keep trying. You're going to learn. You're going to get better. You're going to get stronger. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 13, he said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. What was he saying? I've not apprehended everything that's apprehended me. Everything that I want to accomplish and I feel like God's called me to be and to do. I, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but I'll tell you one thing. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What was he saying? He's saying, oh, I hate that I have failed the Lord. I hate the, the times in which I've stumbled. I hate that I've disappointed the Lord. But I'm going to tell you something. I've, I've learned from my past. I've, I have failed the Lord, but I'm going to keep on going for him. I've asked for forgiveness and I'm going to move on. Many a Christian has failed the Lord and says, I just keep committing the same sins over and over again. I've tried to be faithful to spend time with the Lord. I have tried to be a person of prayer, but I'm telling you something. It just, it just seems like I'm just no good at this stuff. It's good for the preacher. It's good for the missionary. It's good for the deacons. It's good for, it's good for my mother. It's good for somebody else. But I just, you know, I'm just going to go to church and I'm just going to kind of get by. And Jesus says to you, I'm not through with you. I'm not through with you. Quit listening to the devil's lies and understand that failure is not final. He communicates his patience. The writer of Proverbs, Solomon said this, the righteous man falls seven times and rises up again. Now don't let the number seven throw you a curveball. It's a number which it means that the number of a completed life. And he says uh, 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 the righteous man falls, but he rises up again. 
Paul wrote his friend Timothy and he said to Timothy, Timothy, stir up the gift which is in you. You, 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 have, you, you have gotten to where you don't believe that you're any good, Timothy. God didn't give you that spirit of timidity and fear. Look, Timothy, you're not a loser. God's put his hand upon you. Stir up the gift of God which is in you. If you're driving down the road, you're going to have a wreck if all you do is look in the rearview mirror. And look back there and think of all the places you've been and all the mistakes and all the, all the things in which you have failed the Lord. Oh, I, no, no. Driving, you have to look back there. You need to learn from the past and say, I, I did disappoint the Lord. But I'm going to tell you something. He gives you that big windshield to look straight ahead and say, There's, there are things I want to do for the Lord. The difference between a good Christian and a godly Christian, the difference between a good Christian and a godly Christian is not based upon how many times you failed, but how many times you got back up? Are you living with unconfessed sin tonight because you're thinking, what's the use? I'm just no good at this stuff. I'm just not a, I, I've tried to be a witness. I'm no good at it. Jesus says, I'm not through with you. He communicates his patience. But number two, he calls for precision. He calls for precision. You say, I'm not following you. Go back to verse 15 and look at what he says. It says, so when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me, notice, more than these? You know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Can I tell you one of the main reasons I never preached on this passage is because for years I couldn't figure out what the these were. Do you love me more than these? And I've tried to study it out. I've tried to see what other people think it was. And I've discovered nobody really knows. Some scholars believe that Jesus was referring to the fishing business and all the fish and all the tackle and the nets and the ship and all that went with it. Hey, Pete, do you love me more than all this fishing world? Or is this what you're going to go back to? And you know something? That's a legitimate argument. I think that could very well be what Jesus was referring to. Do you love me more than you love the fishing business? That could be it. But some believe that he was saying this. Hey, Pete, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Because just a few days ago, Simon Peter, you said, now they'll deny you. But I never will. Oh, no, no. I will always be faithful. I will follow you. Hey, Simon Peter, how'd that work out for you? You denied me too. Did he say, do you love me more than they love me? It could be. Or the only other argument that someone brought up was simply this. It could be that they were, he, he was saying, do you love me more than these disciples? Do you love them more than you love me? I mean, there's Andrew, your brother. There's James and John, your cousins. There are your friends. You have lived life with these guys. Do they have more authority in your life than I? Now, follow me. Did Jesus say, do you love me more than the fishing business? Do you love me more than the disciples love me? Or do you love me more than you love them? You say, Gleiser, what do you think it was? I don't know. And you don't know. You say, well, then what? how are we supposed to evaluate this? Let me tell you something. We're going to miss the big point, the main point, if you don't focus on what Jesus was really saying. He was saying this. Do you love me more than fill in the blank? 
Do you love me more than everything? Do you love me more than anything? Do you love me more than everyone? Do you love me more than any one person? I love teenagers and I enjoy preaching to teenagers and any group of teenagers I'm with, if I have any length of time with them, I will often, I will frequently do this. I will pull a chair up in front of that group of teenagers and I'll say, teenagers, your heart represented by this chair or tonight by this stool, this, this stool represents your heart and your heart, your life, who you are. It has only room for one king, one master. One Lord, one, one love above all other loves. And if it's not the Lord Jesus, who is the first love of your life, then it is something else. And what you've done is you've told the Lord, I love you. Oh, I love you. But I really love my sports. Oh, I love my ball playing. Oh, I love it. I love it. I don't want to lose my sports. Oh, God, please don't take away my sports. Now, Lord, I love you and I need you. And I want you to be near because I need you to help me with my sports. Or maybe, maybe it's not sports. Maybe it's, your, uh, maybe it's that group of friends that you love to hang out with, teenagers, I'll say. And, and they dominate your life. And you'll, you'll do whatever they tell you to do. You wear your clothes like them. Uh, you'll wear a ball cap like them. Uh, you'll, you'll go with them. You'll walk like them. You'll act like them. You'll, you'll, you'll take entertainment in with them. They are the first love of your life. You, you can't do anything without, first of all, checking the buds, finding out what do they want you to do. Oh, it's not that you don't love the Lord. It's just that he's off to the side somewhere and the friends occupy the throne. Or maybe if it's not them, maybe it's just one special friend, that one guy, that one girl. Is it, is it wrong to have a special friend? No, it's normal. It's natural. It's as natural as it can be. It's good. Unless they take the place of the Lord Jesus. And many a person can't focus on their Bible because they're thinking about her or him. Their mind is somewhere else. Maybe it's not them. I'll say teenagers, maybe it's your car, your truck, your motorcycle, your four, your four wheeler. Maybe it's your computer. Maybe it's the computer games, teenager. Maybe it's that phone. You can't even get your eyes off that phone half the time. It's the love of your life. It's the first love of your life. It, and if I ask a teenager, do you love the Lord? Yes, I love him. And they're back to what their first love is. Now hear me carefully tonight. What's true for teenagers to think about is true for every single person in this room. Because it could still be sports. It could be the group of people at work that we're trying to impress. It could, be, it, could be, it could be your hunting rifles. It could be your vehicles. It could be any number of things that become the first love of your life. Jesus led John, the one who wrote this gospel. He told John, he said, I, you're going to write the book of the Revelation. And he says, you're going to write seven letters. To the seven churches and the very first letters to the church at Ephesus. He goes, you tell that church made up of people like us. You tell that church, I know your works and I know your labor and I know that you've carried a heavy load. But I do have one thing against you. You've left your first love. 
You're doing what you're supposed to do. But it's not, it's not that the Lord is unimportant. It's just that he's not most important. Do you see that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things will be added unto you. Friends, I can't answer for you. I got enough on my own plate that constantly is fighting in the thin, for the throne room of my heart. But there are things that are fighting for my attention and they're vying for the kingship of my life. It's not that I've said to the Lord Jesus, I don't want you in my life. No, it's not that at all. When Jesus says, hey, Simon Peter, when Jesus says, hey, disciple, when Jesus calls you by name and he says, do you love me? What's he saying? He's saying, do you? Do you? More than, and only you can answer it. And every once in a while, I think it's wise for God's people just to say, Lord, I clean off the throne of anything and everything and everyone. I want you to be the master of my life. Regardless of what others say, think, or do, you take first place, first love. I will focus on you. I'm locked in on pleasing you. I like what one old preacher said. He said, when you please the Lord, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference who you displease. And when you displease the Lord, it doesn't make any difference who you please. We get distracted with all the things of what someone else is going to say, think, or do. And the Lord Jesus is off to the side saying, do you really love me? Hey, Peter, yes, Lord, do you love me? Think about it. After all the teaching, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after all the miracles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, after all the parables, after all the prayers, after all the instruction, after all the teaching, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, last chapter, it comes down to this. Do you really love me? And if I could just lay one more thing on your heart and I'll be done. He said, if you do, not only, not only did he communicate patience and call for precision in our life, he gives us finally a purposeful call. Three times he simply says, feed my sheep. Let me just tell you what he was saying. He was saying, Simon Peter, do you love me? Yes. It's as if the Lord was saying, I'm leaving. You know that. But prove it. Prove you love me. How can I do that? Feed my sheep. You say, well, no, no, Brother Morris, I, how am I going to do that? I'm, a, I'm not a pastor. I don't even teach. I, don't, I can't feed anybody the word of God. Don't miss the point. What he was saying was this. Let your life be a tool to minister to other people. That's what he was saying. Folks, the, the church of the living God is not to be an audience. Just sit back and listen and so. You're not an audience. You're an army. And you are his tools to minister to his sheep. I don't know what gifts you've been gifted with, but God has gifted each one of you to be his servant. How can I say, Lord, I love you. How can I do it? He says, if you do it unto the least of these, it was as if you've done it unto me. Prove you love me. 
by serving other people. Is your life a life of service? I was preaching at a youth retreat. It was a winter retreat. It was, uh, it was between, actually between uh, Christmas and New Year's, a group of teenagers, a, a large youth group, had come, down to, had come down to Central Florida for a winter retreat. Now, that's where you want to go for a winter retreat, down to Florida. And they had come down, and they had, they had asked me to come and preach. So I went to preach. And so I was there, a room full of about 125 to 135 teenagers, large group of kids. And so I was preaching to them. And one afternoon during the retreat, I was outside and I heard music coming from out of the, uh, the chapel building, and I remembered they were going to practice a, a, a music special to be sung in the evening service uh, to, uh, to, to have in the evening service. So I said, hey, I want to go hear the rehearsal. So I just stepped in quietly, a side door, sat on the side over here, and, uh, and just sat there and listened. And up on the platform was a group of about 12 teenagers singing and they were working on this song, getting all the kinks worked out like you do with any music group. And the, the, uh, the, the director was directing them and so forth. Well, the, the youth leader who had asked me to come and preach to his youth group came in and he sat down beside me and we sat there and we listened and he, and we were listening to him and I, I leaned over to him and I said, Hey, Steve, I said, uh, that girl, the second one from the right, dressed in uh, blue, whatever. I said, I bet you, you wish you had a, a hundred girls like her in your youth group. He said, oh man. He said, if I had a hundred girls like her, he said, quote, he said, my city would not be the same. He said, she tells people about the Lord all the time. He said, if I had a hundred girls like her, he said, wow, it would be a great impact on my city. I said, yeah. We sat back and kept listening. In a moment, he said, have you met her? I said, no, I haven't met her. What's her name? He said, don't think, don't worry about her name. How, how would you sit here and say, I would wish to have a hundred girls like her and you've not even talked to her? I said, Steve, take another look at her. I said, look at that countenance. I said, even in a rehearsal, she is singing about somebody that she knows very deeply. Not only does she know him as a teenage girl, she loves him. Look at her face. He looked back up and he said, yes, I see what you're saying. He said, you're exactly right. I never did meet that girl that whole weekend long. About three years later, I was speaking or actually visiting a Christian college and while I was there, I was in, a, in an area that's kind of a, a gathering place for college kids, a snack area and so forth. And I'm standing around in that area. When in through the door walked a college girl. She saw me. She walked over to me. I saw her. She said, hi, Brother Gleiser. And I said, hi, good to see you again. Oh, she says, we've never met. I said, I know we've never met, but I know who you are. She says, you, you don't know me. I said, I know you. And I gave her her name, at least her last name. I said, you were at that winter retreat a few years back. You were a part of a church youth group, weren't you? She said, but we've never met. I said, I know, but I remember you. I said, are you a student here at this college? I am. I said, what are you studying? She began to tear up and she said, I believe God's called me to be a missionary. 
And she said, I'm dating a guy who also wants to serve the Lord. She says, we don't know if we're meant to be together, but if that's what God wants, we'll do it. We'll serve him, but we just want to serve the Lord. And I said, I'm not surprised one bit. I saw her as a young lady loving the Lord, not trying to impress me. It was real. And a few years later, I heard her say, I'll do anything God wants me to do. I just want to serve him. Jesus says to Peter, and he says to you, do you love me? (laughs) Yes, sir. We love you, Lord. And he says, do you? Yes. Do you? Father, I pray tonight as we come to the conclusion that we'll do more than just listen to a Bible account and a narrative of a conversation that that you had with Simon Peter. Help us to evaluate in our own heart whether or not we are sincerely loving you like we should. Lord, help us to be encouraged, first of all, that you're not through with us because we have failed you so many times. Lord, there are people in this room, they're dominated by worry. Some hindered by a temper. Others struggling with lust. Others hammered by unfaithfulness to you. And so often we feel as if we couldn't do anything right. We're just such failures Lord, thank you for the encouragement that you would say, come and dine. I'm not through with you. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to serve me. God, encourage somebody who's discouraged and struggling tonight. And maybe if they need to even make something right with you, help them to do it. I pray that you'll help someone tonight to take a look at their own heart and determine whether or not something has taken over the throne room of their heart, an ambition, a business, a family, good things that have just gotten out of place. And then, Lord, I pray that you'll help us all to recognize that we need to show and prove that love by pouring our life into other people, serving you by serving others. God, use us. Help us to show that we truly love you. Finish this service as only you can. Our heads are bowed. How many in this room tonight would say, Brother Gleiser, I don't know about anybody else. I don't know about anybody sitting around me. I don't know about anybody near me. I don't know anybody in my section. I don't know about anybody in my family. But you just simply say, Morris, I needed this message tonight. God challenged my heart and God reminded me of something that I needed to hear. If that's so, would you lift your hand right now all over the room? I just heard something I needed to hear. God bless so many. Would you stand with me? You stand with me tonight. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. My prayer is that this message has been an encouragement as you've taken a look at the life of Peter and recognized this is the question Jesus asked of all of us. In just a moment, I'll close in prayer. Not my, my part. Just close my part out. We'll have music being played. Friends, the altar's wide open. Don't worry about anybody else. If God spoke to you about something, would you tell him tonight, Lord, I heard from you. I mean it. Find a place to kneel. You say, Morris, do I have to come forward? You heard me yesterday. Of course not. 
I'm not going to arm twist you and badger you and manipulate you down the aisle. The question is not, do you love the preacher? No, the question is, do you love the Lord? You do what he tells you to do. If you want to sit right back down tonight and lean over the pew in front of you, do it. Don't leave tonight without being honest with your Lord. You find that place to get on your knees or get, on, get back down and just pray here at your seat and say, God, you spoke to me. I needed this tonight. Lord, I want to love you like I'm supposed to. Father, finish this service as only you can. Encourage your people to do the right thing in the next few moments. We ask it in your beautiful name.